for that many amount of years from 1996 to 2024, 15, every weekday has been my wake up call. And let me just say, it's something you never get used to. 4.15, that alarm goes off. I open my eyes and I go, bah. Not the summer any of us planned or imagined, but it's the summer we got. So I hope everybody's making the best of it, staying safe, having some fun. I'm up in Montana. I've been using some of my time to check out my tree dashers from all birds. So fishing, check. Boating, check. Jet ski, check. Hiking, definitely a check. I knew that in uh, in Virginia. And out here, the terrain's a little little bit different, but still, same quality shoe. I'm even giving them a big old check for barbecue maintenance and uh, monitoring, something I do really well at times, and sometimes I fall short. Uh, They're light. They're tough. They're great. uh, They look great. Again, look good, feel good, play good. A fantastic athletic shoe, and I am so happy to be involved with Allbirds. They're our sponsor. They're a great sponsor, and I've loved working with them. Check out the Tree Dashers at allbirds.com. Happy Friday, everybody. This is Chris Long, uh, and you are listening to the Green Light Pod. I have a guest I'm really excited about today, Mike Golick Sr. Um, if you've ever turned on the TV or a radio in the last 25 years, you probably know who Mike Sr. is. Listen, he had a stellar career in the NFL that I know he likes to downplay, but he was a part of a, a ferocious defensive line in Philly, the OGs of, um, of the city of brotherly love's defensive tradition uh, when it comes to guys up front, man. I mean, you had Reggie White, Jerome Brown. Uh, you had Clyde Simmons, who was my assistant D-line coach, coincidentally, in St. Louis for a little bit. Um, and then, of course, Mike Golick, who would probably be self-deprecating and say he wasn't a big part of it, but he was a big part of it. And uh, a guy that has done a terrific job off the field. Um, I have already recorded that interview uh, that you're going to hear in a few minutes. I didn't even like to think of it as an interview. I felt like I was just talking to somebody I knew. And I do know Mike, but um, he's just, that's why he's good. I mean, he, he gets on your level and he's really bright, but he never acts like he's too smart. Um, and I think that's why he's so relatable to everybody. You know, I, I complimented him during the pod and said, hey, for an older guy, you appeal to every demographic, every age group, just universally loved. And there have been some shakeups at ESPN. Um, where the radio lineups can be a little different. That includes not seeing uh, Mike Golick, who was on Golick and Wingo, formerly uh, Mike and Mike with Mike Greenberg. Um, so you're not going to see him, at least for the time being, at ESPN doing radio stuff. He's supposed to be with ESPN until the end of the year. I know he's going to do some college football stuff. So the burning question for me is what's next for him? He's a guy that I would love to see on a ton of different mediums. I think he has that flexibility that I mentioned earlier. Don't let the age, uh, you know, deceive you. He definitely is relatable to everybody and somebody who everybody loves and respects. And I don't know how that translates to, you know, podcasting or doing video type stuff or, you know, this landscape's evolving. And uh, I feel like Mike Golick's got to be just getting started. He's he's a true pro. So we'll get Mike on in a minute. Um, We're going to talk about 
obviously everything going down from a contract perspective with the NFL, with Dak Prescott, with Chris Jones, with uh, Derek Henry. We're going to talk about the new stuff that came down today with the COVID IR classifications. We are going to talk about COVID itself. What else is new? But every day there's a new you know, development um, that more often than not lately has been grim. Um, we're painting a picture of you know, the probability of the league having a, a, an on-time 16-game schedule um, you know, being shaky. That, that possibility seems more and more shaky to me. We're going to get into that. And then I, I hear he likes donuts. Uh, I hear he has a lot of pet peeves. We'll talk about those too. Um, but in the meantime, we do have, uh, we do have a mailbag uh, before we get into it. I, I gave you guys an opportunity to get in a couple late mailbag questions. And there were some good ones. There were some good ones. Um, by the way, on the Washington team's um, predicament they find themselves in, um, the bombshell that dropped today. Man, that culture sounds terrible. I'm going to let the layers to that onion peel back a little bit more before we dive into it full on. Because by the time that news broke, the anxiously awaited um, Washington Post article on what's going on in Washington, uh, Mike and I had wrapped. So we'll wait till next week to hit that. I'm sure there'll be more that comes out, but it does sound like an absolute disaster. Um, And any culture that's like that, needs to change in uh in the workplace for sure i mean i think we're all on that same page so we'll see heads have already rolled there maybe some more will continue to roll but i'll wait to dive into that full on next week so the mailbag matt kaufman congratulations you've made the mailbag with a terrific question via ig who was the most outgoing fun teammate to party with on the 2017 squad thanks for the ring Love the green light pod, bird gang, Eagles emoji. Listen, that was a special team. There were a lot of guys I loved hanging out with. As a backdrop for this whole conversation, at that point in my career, I am hell-bent on staying healthy, being the best I can be. 33 years old, you don't drink a lot during the season. So as far as partying goes, it was just special occasions uh, as far as going out, hitting the bars and that sort of thing. But I had a few good nights out. Probably my best buddy on the team was Bo Allen, and Bo and I had a lot of fun that year, and it wasn't the same without him the next year. I mean, it was weird, odd. And we even went to uh, Africa to do Kilimanjaro together. The pod I did with Bo on the Kili trip, I did this thing called Two Dudes on a Rock, basically, and it was just anybody who was on the trip, I took them outside the tent when they were probably tired as hell with altitude sickness, just wanting to go to, bed, go to bed. And the guy that brought him over is like, hey, can I steal you for an interview? But I did this thing called Two Dudes on a Rock, and Bo's was hilarious. Um, Bo, by the way, if not the biggest man to summit Killy, uh, he, he can definitely claim to be the second biggest man to ever summit Killy because that on the same day was Haloti Nada. How about two 340-pounders summiting a 20,000-foot mountain on the same day? Has it ever happened? I don't know. But you want to check out that Bo Allen interview? You really should. It's uh, the February 20th episode, so you can pull that up on Spotify or iTunes if you get time. Uh, He was hilarious, but I love Bo, Uh, and we certainly went out and hit a few bars. I really like going to Buffalo Billiards. You know, I like to shoot a little pool. I'm not like a pool shark or anything, but I like to go drink beer and shoot pool and 
watch a game if it's on. And Buffalo Billiards was super low key, and everybody that worked there was always so cool. But outside of Bo Allen, like outside of the D line, there were obviously guys like Fletcher Cox, BG, guys like that I was really tight with, you know, that whole gang. But, you know, outside the D line, I hung out with Nate Gary a lot. Something I guess people wouldn't expect. I mean, I'm like 15 years older than this, this kid, uh, you know, young linebacker from the D- Dakotas, um, fast guy, speed guy, kind of like a safety hybrid, if you don't know the Eagles. Nate Gary's a wild man, love him to death. They call him White Snake. Uh, he's crazy, and um, I enjoyed playing ball with him. But I always enjoyed like we found out we had a lot in common. Like we'd play, we'd sit around after after work and play pool until it got dark out there. Um, just kind of shooting the shit on the road, that sort of thing. I really enjoyed um, you know playing with Nate Gary, and there are a lot of great young guys on that team. But I would say you know that one that might surprise fans was uh, me and Forty Seven hung out a good bit. It was a fun team, man. It was just such a fun team. And again, it wasn't the same after Bo Allen left. The second question is from Hunter Wadino. Um, and his question is, favorite track on the New Jacket album? I will do, do you better uh, than giving you a favorite track. I will give you my, I guess, top five tracks. How about that? So my favorite song of the new uh, My Morning Jacket album, for those of y'all who don't know, Jacket, is Feel You. Now, Feel You is kind of a masterpiece to me. I think this one is going to be um, one that I would rank towards the top. And I'm not like their catalog. I have 70 songs. You know, I made a playlist for you guys. And by the way, I'm going to I'm going to put that online somehow soon. A My Morning Jacket starter kit. And they were like, they ended up being 60 songs when you include some of their live stuff. So when I say it's towards the top of their catalog, I mean, it could be top 20, which is quite the accomplishment. Feel You. Um, is a terrific song. And uh, the second one for me would maybe be, I think Run It is going to be the summer anthem. I'll put that at like three or four. What's two for me is Wasted. Now, Wasted, the second half of Wasted is Vintage Jacket and a song that envisioning that song being played live uh, in 2021, maybe at Ohana. This festival that was was uh, pushed, obviously, a year. And I was really excited about hitting this summer or fall or whenever it was. I forgot now. Thinking about the second half of Wasted being played live is going to get me through. And like I said, Jack is one of the best live bands uh, in the world, in my opinion. And uh, three, I'll go Magic Bullet. Now, Magic Bullet's been out a while, um, but that thing is going to be fun live as well. Actually, I heard it at Red Rocks, I believe. So, although... The memories are very hazy. That's my top three. Outside that, um, probably going to go with, like I said, run it at four and then five. It's kind of a toss up between beautiful love, welcome home, and the first time. So that's kind of my top five there. I hope to get one of these jacket guys on soon. I just might. You know what? Fuck it, guys. I'll just say it. I I got two of my friends from My Morning Jacket coming on next week. You can take guesses at who they might be. Um, I'm excited to have those guys on. They're wonderful dudes, wonderful band. If you haven't checked it out, The Waterfall 2. I mean, these songs are a few years old. Uh, and I'm like, gosh, I wish, you know, I wish I could have heard these back a few years ago. But it turned out that this was the right time. We really needed some new music. And I look forward to hearing more new music for those guys. I'll ask them about what's next. Um, 
next week when I talk to two of them. Uh, can't tell you who yet. So take some guesses. Those are my favorite jacket uh, songs on the new album. And then the last thing that came up, a few of y'all asked me about um, Jason Peters. Jason Peters has signed back with the Eagles. I remember we did a pod over the fall when it looked like it was the end for him. And it was kind of, or the end in Philly. And it was kind of around the same time. I think Sproles might've called it quits maybe. But those are two guys I respect immensely. Now, it's funny doing that whole pod, kind of a a legacy pod on JP in, in Philly, at least from my time being there. He's back. And there was a feeling or a hope, I'm sure, by a lot of guys in the locker room that he was going to come back eventually. I cannot understate that guy's presence. Um, Not only a Hall of Famer on the field, but a Hall of Fame teammate and a guy who does not care where you stand on the roster, what you make. You know, he's like a coach on the field. He is a brilliant football mind and he takes care of his guys. Um, He is like the Godfather, where everybody knows it's JP's building, and and uh, you want to keep the big man happy, but he still works his ass off. He's a great teammate um, and a good a good coach on the field, and that's why it's so important for him to be back um, this this fall if we're doing this thing. Because listen. You're going to need, with this shortened offseason, the rush to develop younger players, including Andre Dillard, who's in his second year. But that second offseason is so important. He didn't have that. You need multiple coaches. You need perspective. You know, And they've got a number of good vets in that O-line room to help in addition to, to Stoutland, but, who's a great coach. But you know, there's just no replacing the loss of a JP. So you get JP back. A lot of people think he's going to play guard. Coincidentally, I posted on my story when he came back the, word, the, the, the letters OG, and a lot of people thought I meant offensive guard. I meant original gangster, okay? OG is the highest compliment I can give a guy, a vet in the NFL, um, and he's definitely that guy. Now, he could play some guard. I think there's a, a hope in the Eagles' minds that Andre Dillard is going to be ready to take that next step this year. They're putting a lot on this kid. I don't like piling on young kids. Um, I know there's been concerns. Hopefully he figures it out. Um, it's not like he was awful his first year. I mean, that's a tough position to pick up and play and learn. But it's even harder when you don't have a second offseason. So JP can certainly play guard. But another thing he can do is play tackle. If Dillard's not doing so well or somebody gets hurt, that's a big deal with what you've invested in Carson Wentz and the perceived injury history. Um, so you want to keep Carson upright. Uh, you want that presence in the offensive line room. He can still play. You really can. And uh, additionally, you have to think about this wild scenario. Let me run this one by you. You know, coaches can get COVID too. Um, And I think every room in the NFL this year is well served to have a vet or more than one vet. I mean, that's always what you want. But this year, imagine if a coach came down with COVID and God forbid, imagine, you know, a coach came down with it, had to leave the building for a couple of weeks. I know that a lot of teams have assistant O-line coaches. Will they really cut it, though? Um, some, some positions only have one coach. What happens if that coach goes down? Every room needs a vet. And Jason Peters not only provides the stability to play guard and tackle as you bring uh, Dillard along, and no doubt about it, JP's a good influence on him, but he can also uh, help coach the entire room, not just every day, but in the event that shit hits the fan and you need that guy to step up, you know, 
there'll be Zoom calls. There'll be that sort of thing if something gets weird. Um, you know, Stout could coach from home. Another position coach could coach from home. But who's the guy on the field saying, hey, here's why you got beat. Here's what you need to do better. You miss with your hands. Take this step this way. Um, you know, this is where your eyes need to be in real time. That's what a great position coach can do. And I think JP could easily uh, pick up the craft of coaching in the NFL. He'll be a, whatever he wants to be when he does hang it up, probably at 45, as far as a front office position or a coach is concerned. He was born to play and, and be in football his whole life. So glad JP's back in Philly. It definitely can't hurt. It can only help. Um, and that's the mailbag. So uh, without further ado, by the way, guys, go check out that comment this week, okay? I am in to comments. Had no idea that they were dirty snowballs. Like comments are just snowballs uh, flying through space. And the trail, they you guys know this shit. I don't know. Let me not explain comments to you guys. You guys are so intelligent, uh, all the listeners of this pod. I don't want to insult your intelligence and act like you haven't had comments explained to you before I was late to the fucking party. I love comments now. Comic guy. In fact, I put this on the story. I want a real comic guy on the show. Not a guy that gets high and walks outside. I'm not talking about me. I'm talking about that friend you know that knows a lot about comets because he stares at the stars and reads Wikipedia pages. I'm talking about a real live comic guy. Wherever they find him, my producers are listening. Cowboy Reed, you're listening. Write that shit down on your little notepad for next week. We got to find a comic guy. I love comets. Um, so go out. Check out Neowise. That's the name of the comment. Um, better name than Hale Bop, by the way. I don't know where the fuck they got that name. Ev evidently, you name comments after who discovers them. Um, it's another tidbit I picked up today in year 35 of my life. But go check out the comment, man. It's so cool. I've been out here in Montana. I feel like this is an ad read for comments. <laughs> I'm out here in Montana looking at my comments at night, uh, and you should too. It is truly breathtaking. So take some time. So enough about comments. Not everybody's um, as much of a fucking nerd as I am. Mike Golick Sr., that's why you're here. Not for me. Let me remember that. Mike Golick Sr. has a podcast now, by the way, which is awesome. I can't wait to listen to it. It's called Sorry in Advance, and it's like a Golick family podcast. So, you know, I know Mike Jr. as well. He climbed Killy with me. I talked about Killy earlier with Bo. Uh, Mike was gracious enough to help me raise money uh, for clean water. What a great dude. And he's having a nice media career too. It's off to a good start. So shout out to Mike Jr. But we have Mike Sr. now. And uh, I've been looking forward to this. Let's do it. One of the most universally respected uh, voices, in my opinion, in sports media. And as I enter the field, I know it even more so, hearing my peers talk about him. Everybody's wondering what's next for Mike Golick. I, I appreciate that that intro on you know what my career has been so far and and going to keep going as as I'll get into. But it's so funny I get asked all the time, "Hey, your your broadcasting career? Hell, my NFL career is nine years. My broadcasting career is about twenty five years now." They're like, "You know, which one did you enjoy more?" And I'm like, "Wait a minute." I said, "That's an easy one." I mm -hmm. said, "Never in my life have I woken up in the middle of the night." And and woken up going, oh my God, what a great dream about that last segment I was talking about. Yeah. <laughs> I was yeah. about, oh my God, what I sacked the quarterback or what a what a great play I had. I always dream about football and wanted to always be remembered 
you know, for football. But you know, that's it's not what it was. It was it was the broadcasting. The, the NFL career was nice, but I, I've I've so enjoyed this. But I'm not done. I mean, people have been so nice in social media talking about the career that that I had on radio. But I, I guess I'm out here saying I'm not done. I'm too young. You know, I'm 57. I'll do. Uh, uh, I, I won't do obviously radio anymore, but I want to keep going. So I'm, I'm under contract for the rest of the year with ESPN. So I went to him and I said, let me do college football. I did that when I first got to ESPN. So that's where I want to go. That's what I want to do at least till the end of the year. And then, you know, start t- taking some phone calls and, and see where I want to go next and what I want to do next. But it will be something because, uh, uh, the wife doesn't want me around just yet. She's still like, you know, as I'm sure you went through, once it started getting close yeah. to training camp, my wife was like, all right, time for you to leave now. Yeah, it's uh, it's something where I think it's healthy for all parties involved to have yeah. something to do. And I know, like, I'm going to see you on a number of mediums, which is exciting selfishly for me. I mean, you were so stellar on the radio for so long. Um but, you know, it'll be interesting to see you doing different stuff, which I think is really cool. I know that you got in the college football thing, as you mentioned. That's how you got into the whole thing. You might go, you go back and do more of it if we see college football. But I, I'm excited to see Mike goal, like do different stuff. And I, I've always said this about you. You're a dude who's, and this is not, a, this is a compliment. Now, it's going to start off sounding like one of those fucking, <laughs> you know, uh, but like you're an older dude that relates to everybody because it's effortless. You know, you, you just, you just, you know who you are. That is always shown through in your personality as a media member. And then also you have the background of being in a locker room. You talk about like accepting tough news. You and I played in the league for 10, 11 years. That's a way to humble you going to this media stuff. That'll never offend me. Oh my gosh. Listen, when now, now again, I didn't want radio to end. I, I, I still wanted to do it, but I was told by my bosses and I, I kind of make everything, you know, sports. So my coaches here told me, you know, I'm done with this. I, I didn't want to be done. It's like when I got cut by the Oilers or cut by the Dolphins, I didn't, I didn't think I should be cut. I thought I should still be playing, but didn't matter what the hell I thought. They were going to cut me. That's what they did here. They wanted to go a different direction in radio. So that's their choice. I'm going to worry about what I can control. And, and I am excited for the, for the future. And, and I appreciate the, the nice things you're saying about me, but I'm not going to lie. There's a little bit of even though I've done college football, I've done TV, I've done about everything you can in it, the mainstay was radio, and I've done it for so long. Now there is a bit of trepidation in what's next, because you start hearing people say, you know, more into podcasts, how about Twitch? And I'm like, and they're like YouTubes and stuff. I'm like, oh, wait a minute here. Okay, okay. While I, I try and relate to the younger people as well, I have my limitations yeah. as far as the technology and how that all works. But I just enjoy talking to people. The way I always looked at it was I never want to talk at somebody. I want to talk to them. Yes. You know, I want to, I want to, I always wanted to be that guy at the corner bar, that the corner of the bar that just sits there and has a beer with everybody. And we all just talk. I'm no better than anybody, but what I can do because I did what 99 and you as well, 99% of people in this country never did. We got to play pro sports. So what I can do while I just want to shoot the breeze with you, I can take you where you can't go. And that's what I tell my son, Mike, yes. about this medium and doing games and stuff. I said, take people where they can't go. They can't go in the locker room. They can't go on the field. They can't go in the weight room with you. And so that's why, because I was nervous, Chris, the first time I did local radio before ESPN and I had to talk other sports. 
So I didn't. So it wasn't so much about knowing the other sports. What I could still do was I could tell you what the pro athlete was thinking because a lot of the thought processes are the same. You know, no matter what sport you're playing, you can always take them down onto the field and then the locker room and kind of give them a, a first person view of what's going on. How hard is that, Mike? Because I've struggled with that a little bit as a podcaster. I know my weaknesses. Like I know what I, I know what I don't know. And and I think that's a really important thing. And I'm not I'm still learning what I don't know, you know, uh, trial by fire. Even in football, there are things that I realized I didn't know. Like you and I play D line. How much do we pay attention? I know you know when the safety's down and you know when Right. When, when that's sort of, like you worried about primarily your bubble and you knew that like a master class guy, but working backwards, second level stuff, et cetera, quarterback play, cap numbers, crazy stuff. The stuff that we're stuck talking about all week here. There's a learning curve coming out of football, not just that baseball, basketball. How did you identify those blind spots and then work around them besides just appealing to the player mindset? Well, what, what, what I did there and what helped me a lot is, well, I was a 10th round draft pick. Yeah. You know, this was back when the draft was 12 rounds. So, you know, back then you weren't expected to make the team. Yeah. And, you know, I, I got through nine years of it and it wasn't because of my awesome football talent. <laughs> you know, I had enough talent to be in the league, but I had to do a hell of a lot of things around that from mm-hmm. film study to, to studying. I, I was a D lineman, but in my years, I knew what everybody was doing. Yeah. I knew so I could make calls on the D line, let the athletes go do their thing, and I would try and put the pieces of the puzzle in the right spot for different games we were going to do and such. But so I always knew what the linebackers were doing, and I always knew what the the DBs were doing. I had to I, I digested the playbook all the time. So in other sports, and listen, this is something I'm sure you do and, and can easily continue to do. You know a lot of people. And that's the one thing about your position. People are always going to take your call. They're yeah. always going to take your call and want to talk to you. And you pick their brain. Hell, my, my best D coordinator I ever played for was Bud Carson. When I was done playing, Bud offered me a job to be a, an assistant D line coach uh, where he was. I think he was in St. Louis at the time. And I said, first and foremost, I don't want that life. Man, yeah. you guys are there before me and thereafter. I don't want that life. Dude, that's different. But, yeah. But what I did is I picked his brain. I said, Bud, all right, sit down, explain defense to me, explain coverages, explain all that stuff to me. I got different people. Buck Showalter, who's a manager for obviously years in baseball, yeah. I would pick his brain because once I got to ESPN, I, I then had, while well, people would take my calls as well, but I had unbelievable resources. And I was so used to that study and study and study. And, that I just kind of threw myself into it. But to your point, there's stuff we don't know. And you know what? That's okay. The, the yeah. one thing I hate is when people go on podcasts or do shows and act like they know everything. There's yeah. a little secret. You don't. You yeah. don't know everything. And there's nothing wrong with not knowing everything. And there's nothing wrong with saying you may not know that. So it's, a, it's just a lot of learning the intricacies and have the people in those business, you know, tell you some of them. And then also just realizing, I think, there's no dumb questions to your point. It's oh. amazing how much pride gets in the way of calling a friend who's an expert somewhere and being afraid to sound stupid. And that might be the gateway to you getting something a full two, three years before you get it, trying to figure it out on your own. So I'm, I'm learning to, to lean on people. I know I've got my, I call them my podcast dads, like people that, you know, I lean on and my dad, you know, my, my, my dad, dad, where, and we can get into Mike Jr. in a second, his career path is a little bit more parallel in the art form. My dad does a, a studio show. It's different. Right. 
So, you know, while I could ask some questions, we're living in two totally different worlds. Who were your guys coming out that you were making this transition and you liked the way they worked or were accessible to you? Well, a, a guy that I ended up working with, he was in this guy, was at ESPN before me, was, was Mark Malone. You know, a guy who played quarterback for years in the league, and he ended up being the host. He actually made the transition. You know, he was a football player. Most football players become analysts. Well, he was an analyst, but then he started hosting shows. He yeah. had the versatility to do that. So he was a guy that I leaned on about the business and then leaned on about sports. You know, Ron Jaworski was another guy because when I played in Philly, no, you know, he's right that. there in Jersey, and I would play on his golf courses. I'd get hammered and play golf all the time on his golf courses. He likes so golf? Wait. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> just oh, a little, but you know, got guys like that. And then I tell you another guy I got to be really good friends with. And I was playing in Philly. He was playing with the 76ers was Charles Barkley. So wow. I, I had some of those relationships along the way and I used them. So yeah. all of a sudden when I'm again in local radio and Barkley happened to live out in Phoenix too, as well, when I was doing local radio out there, he was the guy I would call. If I had a question, I would I would call him, and now I could text him. You know, it wasn't all that yeah. big, obviously, way back then. So I, I had those people. Like I said, Buck Showalter, I picked guys because I, I, I figured because I was in the business, I was hoping they would take my call, and they were very nice, and they did, just to find out little, little nuances of the game. Because you're right. Those are the little things. Because you're never going to – I'm never going to come off and sound like a baseball, you know, savant. No basketball salon. I'm not, and I'm not going to try, but I'd want to know enough to be able to talk it, you know, yeah. and that's where talking with other people and kind of picking their brains a little bit helps a lot. I just get annoyed when people get mad at a football player for wading into another topic. If they're doing that really responsibly, like we're talking about, it's no different than a guy who never played any sports who we respect greatly in the business talking about football period. So like I never got the, when people don't want to hear your opinion, they throw that stone forgetting that they're not athletes themselves. The, well, that was a, one of the things that especially early on, and, and, and you naturally do it because you want people to like what you do. So when you hear criticism and you hear that, I was a football player talking baseball. You're like, damn, you know, you do. You kind of get pissed at it. And you're like, yeah. well, wait a minute. You know, I was an athlete. I can do that. But then you get, you get used to that and you get over that and you don't worry what you'll see is you don't worry so much yeah. what, those, what those fans think, what you worry about is when you see a baseball player or a basketball player, if you're talking intelligently about their sport, they're going to know that. They're yeah. going to know it. You know, and, and if you're not, they're going to know it as well. So that's the ones I always wanted to because when you're in this business, you're going to see other athletes and they yeah. know you talk other sports. So as I said, I never had to be a, 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 an expert on that sport, but just know what I'm talking about. And then you, I think you earn the respect of the other athletes in the other sports that, okay, this guy has put his time in, he's learned, and he can talk our game. Was there a big ethics, like uh, kind of like Ten Commandments you had as far as criticizing athletes or people in your business or when things came up that weren't positive, how did you, like, I don't do this. My dad always said, I don't question guys' toughness when it comes to injuries. Like, only they know how hurt they are. You know, I don't want to make things personal. I can criticize you without making it personal. Did you have kind of a blueprint? You know, it was interesting. First off, when I was before I was even doing radio, NFL Live, which is the studio show, it used to be called yeah. NFL Tonight. Me, Mark Malone, Merrill Hodge, and Sean Salisbury were the four guys that started. Yeah. Oh, wow. And yeah, there's a group. Yeah, there's some trips. And uh, <laughs> um, what would happen is we'd obviously be breaking down plays 
And that was one of the hardest things, getting out of ball and then being an analyst and criticizing play. Not the person, but the yeah. play. You know, you watch a play. Someone's doing something wrong. And Could be your friend. You, you, you say it. You know, that, that's what you do. It would be interesting at times I'd go out to games and I have to cover them for Sunday countdown or something. And a player would come up to me and say, hey, my brother's friend's friend's friend said you were ripping me on this play. And I said, first off, you didn't hear it, so you have no idea what it was. Second, you know, here's what I said, if I remember what I said. And I would say it to them, and they'd be like, oh, okay. You know, when yeah. it goes third and fourth hand, it just sounds like, hey, Golik was on air, and he was killing you for this play. Yeah. Well, yeah. that was the one thing I would always make sure of. If I'm going to be critical of somebody making a play, I damn well better know that they were in the wrong doing it. And I feel pretty confident in knowing that if I don't know that, then I'm not going to criticize him for that. I'm with you. Never do I question someone's toughness. You know, mm -hmm. when, I, when I hear people say, you know, he had no heart yet, I'm, how the hell do you know? I mean, what, 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 what do you know about that, that you can get inside their chest? That, I, that one it irks me. And the other one, the two things that irk me the most is that because you have no idea what's going on with someone. You can't check their toughness. And the other is, well, that guy works harder than anybody. You know, that is know that? such bullshit. What? Because you, you, yeah. you saw an Instagram box jump video? Exactly. Exactly. You know, this guy works harder than and, and I always stop and I say, wait a minute. He may work really hard, but you cannot say he works harder than everybody. He may be a better player than the other people, but there may be people that work harder. That right. one makes <laughs> the shit out of me because I, I felt I was a hard worker. And just yeah. if someone's a great player and oh, yeah, he's the hardest worker out there. Well, maybe he's not. I mean, you yeah. can't say that. So those are really two of the things that kind of get me the most. And then you get the double whammy when you say that, hey, I'm not saying he's not working hard. I'm just saying blah, blah, blah. Person goes, Mike Golick says player X is not a hard worker. Exactly right. That's the world we live in. It's so binary. It's disgusting. And then the telephone game, like you said, like my, my brother-in-law said that his friend heard that you, oh. did you hear the segment. Did you just read the quote that is designed to make you incensed? Or did you listen to the fucking podcast or the radio show? And then, and then another thing that bothers me is, and you could probably relate as a D lineman, you, you said this, I have to be sure that that guy is in the wrong place doing the wrong thing. And I'm right. sure I've made that mistake already in just the fall, but I'm learning, okay? If you're a color analyst, it happens every night with line play. Every Sunday night, every Sunday afternoon, people are getting crucified for being in the wrong gap or not setting the edge. And the guy usually has no idea what they're talking about. Why, why are they missing the boat so much on the simplest part of football from that it standpoint? It blows my mind because I think line play, line play is the hardest thing to talk about. Without, without question, it's the hardest thing to talk about. And, and I don't that – that amazes me. When, when I had to call games, when I was calling college games and called a couple of the second Monday night football games, man, did I – I, I made sure I watched a ton of tape. I made sure when, when the coaches' meetings, to me, are the biggest things out there. Actually, talking to the coach on his own, they get in these big production meetings, and they clam up a little bit because there's so many non-players in those things. Yeah. You talk to coaches one-on-one, -on -one, they're going to give you way more information. Yeah. Then you can find out the blocking schemes, You know what you use mostly, from the D-line, the stunts they use, of where a guy, you can see where a guy lines up if they're going to stunt, you know, this backs off the ball a little bit. All the little things that I try and pick up in film and or talking to the coaches and just for the years of playing line, that certainly helps. I have no problem talking line where just, and I would imagine for you as well, just like we talked about before, 
where it gets difficult is when you're talking wide receiver route or yeah. a DB, you know, coming down in the box or what the cover cloud yeah. covers or whatever. That's the stuff I had to really think about. Okay, I got to make sure I know this because God forbid I say, well, it's this guy's fault because they were in this coverage and they weren't in that coverage. Yeah. You know, that's on me. You know, I, I got to make sure. So in all honesty, there, there's times I say stuff with conviction and hope it's right. You yeah, know, we all like do. That. I mean, shit. I mean, it's oh, a, yeah. Especially if you're talking five days a week or whatever, how much you'd be on the air. It's oh. like you're going to make mistakes. Another yes. thing is pro football focused stuff. Okay, like I know Chris. I know some guys at PFF. And I think there's some value to some of these next level stats. Yes, but when yeah. you start boiling down player grades based on like run fits that you have no idea necessarily what this player is coached to do, the technique week to week, there's game plans within game plans. So how do you know exactly where a player should be? So I'm always, I always get frustrated by people trying to pin down the line play and people use the wrong terms all the time. All the time. All the I'm time. Like, yeah, it's a mess. You, you, sound like a, you sound like an undercover cop right now trying to talk about the line play. Like, I think that's where what we talked about a little before is, you know, don't go over your skis. Know what you know. Talk about what you know, and don't act like you know it all. Yeah. I mean, you know, th that's if I don't know something, I I've said many times on air. Listen, I I don't know. I don't know what the play was there, or I don't know what the call was there. Now, if I'm calling a game, it's my job to know to talk to the coaches and watch film and have it. But if I'm watching, you know, all the games on Sunday, and then I come in Monday on my radio and TV show and talk about it, I I have to say now I I'll say what I think, and then I'll say you know, but. I am not sure what the game plan called for or what the actual call was. I would have to know that a little more. You know, I I, I was never afraid to admit I'm wrong because I yeah. know I'm not always right. And, and to be. come across and try and sound like you're always right is so disingenuous. Plus, people trust you more if you do that. So I think that's yeah. the whole thing is like, yeah. and I think that's why, as I've watched from the outside in, like the guys that have the most success, people feel like they really know the, the guy's voice on the other end and that they trust them. So. Right. How about the fatigue factor of the job? Because that's that's the thing I, I said before we got on, my dad's taking a nap, okay? I'm a big nap guy. You said when you get to be my age, you'll love naps. I already love them. So you were up at what time every day for X amount of years? Well, so I retired in 94, and in 95, I started doing college football for uh, ESPN and ABC. And then in 96, while I still did the college football, we also started doing that NFL Tonight Show, as I said, with Malone and those yeah. guys. And I also moved to Phoenix to do local radio in 96. So I would do local radio in Phoenix. I would fly to Bristol to do uh, the studio show a couple days a week. And then I would fly right to my college game on the weekend and then end up back in Arizona on Sunday. It was, a it was one of those things where I said, I need to do all I can, stick my finger in all the pies, and then try and narrow it down, yeah. which I, I later did. Um, so starting in Phoenix, cause it was the morning show. I got up that local time. It was started at six that time. So four fifteen. So since 1996 until the end of, you know, my run here, which is coming up on radio for that many amount of years from 1996 to 2020, 415 every weekday has been my wake up call. And let me just say, it's something you never get used to 415 that alarm goes off. I open my eyes and I go, fuck. And every, Chris, every morning I do that. And, you know, I get up, I get ready and I do what I do. And then once I get to the studio, you know, you kind of wake up, you get the packets of the day, you kind of know what you're going to talk about. Other people are there and then you just kind of get going. And then the greatest thing about it, 
10 o'clock rolls around, my day's friggin' done. You know, that's what, you know, back in the day, I would have to get ready for a studio show and watch tape for a, a college game I was going to call. But probably 10 years into that, I start, I was just doing this. So 10 in the morning, I was up at 4.15, but by 10 o'clock every morning, man, my day that's, was free. That's fine. But let me push back here because <laughs> devil's advocate, waking up at 4.15 sounds nice because your day's done at 10. I get that. But for me... Chris Long at 35, even if I wake up before 7 a.m. and I get home before noon to do anything and I have time, that bed is a magnet for me. And I don't take 30 minute naps. I take two and a half hour naps if, in an ideal world. So were you, were you like, I got to stay up so I can go to bed early? How do you manage that? Because then you got to do work at home to prep for the next day. Like, how do you balance all that? Well, the, the, the toughest thing I try not to do, and I failed the last couple of years, because I'm getting a little older, is I tried. Now, early on, I couldn't nap because I would have to, as I said, do a, yeah. a radio show, do a studio show, yeah. get ready for a college game. But for the last probably 12, 13 years, it was just, you know, morning radio and TV. So I would desperately, Chris, try not to nap. But yeah. I, different from you, I could 20-minute power nap. Mm. So that, that helped me to 20 minute power nap, nap at times, but I would try not to because man, if your sleep is screwed up at night, you're screwed. Exactly. You decent night sleep and you gotta get up at 4.15, it is just going to catch you. So yeah. you, you gotta get in kind of a rhythm. Listen, I, I what I do is I go to bed somewhat early, save for I'll watch the Sunday night game or yeah. the Monday night game, I'll watch as much as I can of it. The beautiful thing is I have a way to watch those games the next morning before air compressed. I can watch right. a whole game in 20 minutes. So yeah. if I need to do that, I'll do that. But I, I it's, it's tough. If you nap, if you, you say, if you take a long nap, that can really screw you at night for not yeah. being able to go to sleep. Yeah. If I'm asking my wife for permission to go take a nap, that's a three hour proposal. Cause there's a 40 minute, you know, routine. And then there's the two hours and it takes me 20 minutes. To fall. Are you a couch nap or a bed nap guy? Oh, I don't. I don't go in my bed. I I have a. Uh, I have my my lounge chair. I kick back on. Oh so, yeah. So that was the other thing, you know, because you talked about your wife. And when I was doing this, my kids were young. When I got to ESPN, yeah. Mike was ten, Jake was nine, Sydney was five. So yeah. there's also a point where, where you know, you get the look from the wife. What the hell are you napping for? You know, there's shit to do. You know, yeah. I mean, there there's stuff to do around here. Oh, I, I know. Would go, I would go to college games. And we do a college game Sunday or Saturday. And after the college game, we'd all go out as a crew. We'd go out as a crew. We'd go get hammered, you know, and have yeah. a good time after the game. And then I'd fly back Sunday and be laying around all Sunday because I just did a game. And then I was out kind of partying with the gang. No and, sympathy. Oh, none. And, and I <laughs> believe me, I stopped doing it because I'd come home. The kids are young. And she's like, uh-uh, we're going to do this. You got to do that. And it just it wasn't worth it anymore, man. So you just you said, okay, this is what I got to do now. So so one or two more radio before we get to the main event. But it's so fascinating to me because it's such a – I think we take it for granted how much of a grind that is. It's almost like I'd rather play football for a season than have to wake up, continue it. And not just that. Put yourself out there every morning. Make mistakes, good, good points, screw up. It's crazy. What about a good co-host? Because – that's the key, right? Chemistry and that sort of thing. What makes a good co-host? Do you have to be best friends? Do you have to even hang out no. outside? No, listen, you know, Greeny and I were together for seven, 18 years. Greeny and I did one show together before 
he was he was hired when yeah. I first got to ESPN. Uh, Tony Bruno was my partner, mm. and, and after a year, Tony left for another uh, network. So they had thirteen guest hosts come in and and audition with me to see who my next co-host was going to be. Thirteen people. Right. That was a trip. I had never met Greeny in my life. You know, Greeny came in, and in the first ten minutes of the of our show that he was auditioning for. I was a lot heavier than I was probably 300 bills. I was a fat ass. You know, he, he said, you know, it's so wild. You know, you, if you and I stood next to one another, we'd be the, you know, that old joke, the number 10, cause he was real skinny and I was fat. <laughs> and Greeny always said, I figured once I said that Golik would either hit me or he would laugh. And I laughed cause I don't give a shit. I'm a self-deprecating guy. And I remember my wife calling me after about a half hour of that show in the morning. And she said, her quote was, he sounds kind of geeky, but he's the guy. You know, and and so no, you don't have to be best friends. We didn't know one another. Sometimes you can be best friends and it doesn't work. Right. You know, I'll say this. The honest answer, Chris, you don't know. You have no idea until you try it. And it may take a couple of times. You know, if yeah. if it and it takes a little bit of time to see if it's gonna be there, but you have no idea. It's very difficult to say, yeah, I think these people these two people will go well together. Because you just don't know. Now, the thing about you, the, the thing I prided myself on, and I know my son can do, and I, I hear it in you when I, when I listen to you talk, mm -hmm. is you can basically work with anybody. I could work with anybody. It didn't matter. I could kind of morph to what, how they wanted to go. I'd still be myself and do that. And you're like that. You're very relaxed when you talk. You know, you're very open when you talk. You can tell, you know, you're just yourself. And that's the key. That is such the key. Yeah, yeah. I on the microphone and act like somebody else while you're on the microphone. People figure that out. So you have the natural ability and talent for this, and it shows. So well, that know, means a lot. I appreciate that. Just, I, I couldn't. I couldn't live a lie all day on air because no. it's damn near more, it's so uncomfortable to, to even be you sometimes on air because it's, you're so vulnerable. Yep. I've said this like, yeah, we're not sensitive because like we played football and we've been through worse than getting told the show is not yeah. doing well or this, that, or maybe people aren't listening. Like if I have a bad show, there's nothing more emasculating and ego crushing than having a bad football game. And I always say this about like football and transitioning out. We were, we were so conditioned to high praise and high highs and low lows. And this life is kind of like down the middle and I, I'm good with that, you know? So I, I don't take stuff personal. You got to be yourself. You, you really do. The, the toughest thing you guys have today as I'm, you know, still in this, but, but transitioning out of the everyday stuff is because when I first got in this, man, there was no Twitter. I mean, yeah. now everything you say is recorded. Everything you yeah. say, somebody tweets it and it stays forever. So it, it can be a little tougher from, yeah. from that respect, but you have the right attitude. And, and that's why I always draw on sports as well. As I said, there's no executive that can tear me down more than Buddy Ryan and his mm. line of saying, hey, 90, that was horse shit, you yeah. know, and everything else he would say after yeah. that. So you can't hurt me. You're right. It's more of an even kill. I'm already dead. <laughs> yeah. I try and tell people all the time, when you see there are some times when you're watching a football game and you see players look up at the big screen, I said, there are times they're going to look up at the big screen because they just got their ass handed to them right. on a play. They wanted to verify it on the big screen. And then you know what goes through their mind? 
that is going to look horrible in film tomorrow. Oh my I said, God. Man, I'm telling you, I said, I tell people players think about that shit all the time. Immediately. The minute yes. my the back of my head hits the ground, I think, did anybody notice? Is it primetime <laughs> game? Am I getting circled right now? I rush home. I check Twitter. I, you know, I, I checked the game recorder. I'm like, they missed me getting planted on that play. That's amazing. I'm so glad they don't know shit about line. Play. Uh, so what's it been like working with Mike Jr.? Because, like, you know, I, I know Mike a good bit. You know, he played ball. He's transitioned really nicely, and he does a great job. And, you know, we know each other from Kilimanjaro. He went and climbed Killy. Yeah. So he, that was a lot. <laughs> let me tell you, he, he loved that, obviously, except he said that last day, the day you summit and then start to come down. Oh. He talked about – you take like three steps and stop. And because I've always thought, you know, I feel in great shape, really some of the best shape I've been in. I'm like, man, I think I might want to try this. And he was telling me about it. I'm like, man, I don't know, man. That sounds like it's one hell of a workout. The last day's tough. He's right. The last day's tough. Everything to then is just mental, staying on it, that sort of thing. But he's been, he crushed it. He got down. He raised a lot of money for Waterboy. So we appreciate the Golik family and Mike. So how about, how about working with him? Like literally how surreal is that? Do you look across at the other microphone and you say, that's, that's a kid. Like that's my, that's my little kid with a microphone in his face. It, it is. I wish everybody could experience that. I mean, I, I, I really, really do. Um, you know, listen, he, he tried to play in the NFL, went to camp for the Steelers, went to camp twice for New Orleans, did all he could to try. And you know what? It just, it, as, as we know, it just doesn't happen for some people. Yeah. You know, he worked his ass off to try and do it. And, and I, you know, as, as a parent, you bleed for all your kids. You know, I, my son, Jake, trying to do the same thing as a tight end, you know, and my daughter was a swimmer at Notre Dame. And, and as you'll find out, and you're already, you, yeah. you just, your heart bleeds when your, your kids try and do something and they don't reach what they want to do. But they reach their goals of college and, and all that kind of thing. So there's plenty of great moments. But when he didn't reach that and he wanted to get into this business, I felt he would do well because he, again, an undrafted guy, he was used to working his ass off. Yeah. Uh, and, and he speaks very well, way better than I ever spoke. He's really, really smart. So I thought he had a chance in this and and he put in the work and the one, I always say this because actually it's true. I thought the first thing of what we worked together, how cool would it be? You know, here's a son working with his father who has been in this business forever. And he'd say, you know, he'd want to sit down and say, okay, dad, tell me everything. Tell me how you do it. You know, tell me, show me all the ropes. This some bitch sat down and just started yelling at me and disagreeing with all my takes. I'm like, well, what the hell are you doing, man? I'm like, come on. But I loved it because he wasn't afraid to speak his mind. He wasn't afraid yeah. if I had an opinion to differ from my opinion. So we'd have great debates. But you're right. Every now and then, you know, it's something you don't want to take for granted. But we've been doing it for a few years now. We're now at the expectation he's just going to be there. But every now and then, yeah, you just kind of look over and you're like, it's pretty damn cool, man. As yeah. I said, I've had a lot of success, you know, with, with accolades and, and, you know, made, made a good paycheck doing this and love talking to so many people. But in the 20, 22, 23 years, 25 years overall, working with my kid is by far the highlight. It's just, it's something that I can try and talk about all I want. But, you know, when you're sitting there with him and you see him talking, you just kind of, kind of burst with pride. It's very cool. It was crazy getting to interview my dad. So I know it's just a surreal thing, like to sit down and after all the, you know, for most of our lives, we frame successes and failures based on football, which is a huge thing to live up to no matter who your dad is and playing the NFL. And so I know that 
Mike dealt with that. I dealt with that. And like to get in there and get the affirmation that's very organic that like, Hey, you're good at this son. Like you, you yeah. can actually do this. And that was really cool to hear that from my dad too. Although it's a different medium. So it's great. I love watching you guys. All right. So let's get to the main event here. The stuff, the, the stuff going on with pro sports right now. I mean, like, it's like we just keep recycling the same stories, but they're somehow interesting every week in different ways. What about the other leagues before we get into football? Um, get on an index of, of likelihood, which leagues do you think are in the least and most trouble as far as prospects to play this fall and summer? Well, I, I think you have to look at the leagues that are in a bubble that have the best chance. I mean, you look at the, the NBA, the WNBA, the MLS, the National Women's Soccer League doing it in Utah – and hockey's going to do it. I think they're going to have two hubs in Edmonton and Toronto to finish their season. You have to look at look at the NBA. Since everybody got in the bubble, they've had 322 tests and only two positives. And those two positives were guys that were pre-quarantined before they even got all the way into the right. bubble. So that you can control. Now, they call it a mesh hat sometimes, not a bubble, because there is some leakage. You have workers that are coming in and out of there every day. That, you know, so you do have some risk. I mean, and, and how strict they are. You see the one guy tried order uh, takeout food and the delivery guy, and he stepped over the imaginary line quarantined for 10 days. Uh-huh. So I agree. I like that they're taking it serious. Um, but I do think they have a good shot to, to see where this is going to go. You talk baseball, you talk football, Chris. These guys, they're just doing it normal. So yeah. they're going to practice. They're going home. They're going to practice. They're going home. They're flying to games. They're staying in a hotel. I know they were talking about maybe flying in on game days and flying out. Good Lord. That's a nightmare. An absolute nightmare to do. So I don't see that happening. So now you're bringing in hotel workers, restaurant workers, flying back home. And now you're back with your family again. And we see that the spikes going up and up. And it doesn't necessarily have to be hospitalizations and God forbid deaths. It's just the positive tests that spread that can cause sports to stop, be it NFL, be it baseball, be it college football. I always say this, too. I mean, I've said this lately. I can't say always, but I, I've been worried about I think I came on y'all's show in the spring, and one of, we, we talked about the NFL, and I can't wait to go, go back because I, I promise you, I was worried about it then. I mean, like, I, I don't know how we didn't see this coming, that we'd be playing this game of chicken um, with the virus late in the summer, I, it just seemed inevitable. And the NFL, we know they're, they think they can, they're invincible. They can just knock down whatever wall they want. And that's a gift and a curse. This is different, not just because you're not in a bubble, but these are the largest rosters. It's the most contact. We have the largest staffs. The travel is tough. I know baseball is doing things with a schedule to mitigate some of the travel, like which ends up with some wacky, conclusion when you look at the I mean but this is going to be a major challenge and you had the IR rules come out today on the same day that you have 72 players test positive it's ominous I mean it's it's just very ominous I I think one of the reasons especially when we had you on and back then and we were talking about what was going on the reason I think we felt good about the NFL is and and really college football but really the NFL because it wasn't until September was they had the longest runway they were still, I mean, they hadn't even taxied onto the runway. And yeah. baseball was trying to figure it out because they needed to start their season. Uh, and they already had to shut down spring training. Basketball and hockey were trying to finish their season. So they were trying to get back going again. Football hadn't even started. Hell, we weren't even to the OTAs at that point. And then we started thinking, ah, that's okay. We don't need the OTAs. 
guys will practice on their own. Ah, that's all right. The summer, let the kid, you know, let, let the guys yeah. all work out. But all of a sudden, Chris, that runway, that plane is now speeding down the runway, getting ready for liftoff. And we're running out of runway, both in the NFL and in college, college as well, because you think of pro athletes, how we thought we were invincible. Shit, go back to when you were 18 to 21. Nothing could touch you. You own yeah. the world, especially if you're playing college ball, big time college ball. Nothing can hurt you. I don't care if I get sick. I'll just get better. Yeah. I mean, and and that's the biggest difference. And you just talked about you're not. It's not just you you're worrying about. It's not just yeah. you if you get injured. It's you contracting something and or giving it to somebody else. And it's. And how about the coaches? I mean, you talk yeah. about this at either level. Coaches are. We talk about that lifestyle. They don't have a lot of time in the day to eat right and work out. I mean, these are older dudes. I really worry, and I'm not being alarmist, that if we get to the season um, and the NFL powers through this thing, there is a chance we lose somebody. I'm not saying that we lose a, a coach or a player. By the way, I know that when you're young, you're relatively safer when it comes to this virus. I totally get that. I'm not some like crazy alarmist. But there are guys with BMIs that are through the roof. They're offensive linemen who are 360 pounds. There are underlying conditions in the NFL. Is the juice worth the squeeze? Because I don't think anybody would publicly say the NFL is worth one death. You know, it's not worth one death. No yeah. sport is. I Nobody mean, would say that. No, no chance. No chance. And and quite honestly, I think it would be more along the lines of a coach or somebody like that, a trainer, an older trainer who is more susceptible. Hell, they were talking about maybe keeping some of the NBA coaches out of the bubble who were over sixty-five years old, but then they ended up not doing it. But listen, I'm with you because we're just talking about testing positive. And for a lot of there's been a ton of positive tests. Most yeah. of the guys are asymptomatic. Most of the guys, even if they do feel sick, they feel better. After yeah, and we get that. Back to it. And it, all it takes is one time. And your question is the one we've asked many times. It's that one time. If one athlete goes on a ventilator, one coach goes on a ventilator and then dies, we're all going to be going, shit, yes. you know? Boy, we, we, we tried to push it too much, and now it's too late, and somebody got, you know, of all the hundreds of thousands of lives already lost for this thing, here you're choosing to play sports. And I get it. It's a way of life for people. It's their business. You know, people watch it as a game, but th this is what we all did for our job. It's whatever yeah. everybody's job was. But still, to be worth a death, man. No, Yeah. No and then on top of that, I mean, the distinction between college, you might feel dumber and more like invincible in college because Lord knows there's plenty of times I probably should have screwed myself over in college being stupid, all that testosterone. But like on top of it, college athletes are getting more aware of the power they wield. Yeah. This is a really tough time for this to happen. If you're one of these SEC schools, it's like, hey, we're doing this thing. Like we're, we're SEC country football. Like what about the one player who's like, I ain't even getting paid for this. Like, you know, pro football players, if you stand to make five, $7 million, yeah, I might I'm going to take that risk. Yep. But for the college guys, you're opting into something that all the risk is assumed by you. Listen, the biggest thing, and, and you're right, because you ask most football players, if we, we would try and put ourselves in that position, I would go play. I, right. I, I, would, I would be in camp. I'd be playing because I know I'm getting paid. And that's the one biggest difference because we talk so much on the show about the battle of the baseball union and the league, the football union now and the league and what they're going through. Ain't no union in college. Those yeah. players have nobody to, to, to corral around and talk to. It's just whatever that school says. And then, hey, 
we're doing this. Are you going to be a part of it? Now, I know if an athlete chooses not to play, he still keeps his scholarship. But we all know how that stuff works. We all know yeah. how you're viewed by coaches, you know, in times if you choose not to do something. They're, they're in, a, in a very, very difficult situation. Without like questions. an optional workout. Yeah, yeah optional. Voluntary. <laughs> air quotes. Yeah, voluntary. I mean, so I guess the thing is, we're going to see guys opt out, probably. The likelihood is that happens. If the NFL season happens in any form or fashion, like baseball, we've seen a couple opt-outs. Do you think we'll see people opt out? That I, I do. Um, and then also, what type of player situation, age, standing, is the type of guy that's a good candidate to opt out in the NFL? Well, one who's secure. I, yeah. I think that's an easy answer. One, I mean, look at, in, in all honesty, look look at uh, the difference of you and I. You're the number two two pick overall. Yeah. yeah. I was the 10th round pick. I mean, yeah. I, I had to wonder if I was making the team to be good enough to make the team. There was no way I could afford, you know, the old saying, you can't make the tub in the club. Well, man, or, or can't make the club in the tub. Can't make the tub in the club or the club in the tub. Whatever it is. Uh, certainly, if you were a tenth rounder, you weren't going to. I had to do, and I did. And I'm, some some things that I'm not proud of that I did. Yeah. On the field, I did whatever I had to because I knew if I was off the field, there was a chance I may not get back on the field. There is no question in my mind now, unless I had someone back at home. I had two kids born at that point yeah. and a wife. If there was some huge medical reason, and then quite honestly, maybe I would have had them go stay with her parents. And while I played, I mean, being in that position, man, there, there are some players that just can't afford to look at in baseball, David Price opted out pitcher yeah. with the Dodgers. He's got more money than, than most. I mean, it's those players that can afford any yeah. man a, a great reason. Like Mike Trout's wife is about to have a baby. So he may opt very. out. Listen, that's okay. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that at all, but they're in a very secure position to do that. And, and, and I know, to the world, to the country, it sounds, oh, shit, even the minimum you guys make is a lot of money. Yeah, I get that. But there's in football, there's only a couple of years to make it. The average life is your window. So when guys are going to go out and try and make their 500,000, 700,000 mil, whatever, they're going to do it. So in all honesty, I don't think there's going to be a lot of guys that opt out of this thing. So it's kind of an over-under. I said it at October 15th. You think we're before or after starting the season? Because I think if they started before, here's my thing about the NFL starting it before. If they're not totally dumb, they have to realize that there's a distinct possibility they start and stop, which is a bad look. It's very yeah. un-NFL-like. So do you think that they, they, they wise up, wait to do this so it looks like it's on their terms and push it back? Or do you think they just go full speed ahead? I'm going to set it as October 15th. Before or after? My my caveat to that is the one answer I don't know is how how late can they push the Super Bowl? Because right. we know they can push it right now. What's it? The first week of February or second? I'm not even sure. How far can they push that? Uh, to me, that's their that's their their leeway. That that's their their area there. So you're talking. You said October 15th. So that's what. Four, five weeks, five weeks into yeah, the five and a half weeks, something like that. I, I, I thought the end of, I thought basically almost that. I thought end of September into October yeah. that the NFL and college football may start around the same time. I, I think they have to push it. I think they have to. There's just too much going on now to say we got to let this thing breathe a little bit. We got to let we got to let the the curve come back down a little bit. So I could I I could. I could see it going into October. Yeah, I, I, as long as they can, as long as they can push the Super Bowl. 
I would take the after, like kind of like the over, I guess. Um, I would take the after because I think I think uh, everything we've learned with this thing is whatever you think, it's worse than oh, you think. Yeah. And, and I'm not talking about the symptoms. I'm not talking about necessarily the likelihood that you get really sick. I'm talking about sports. The, you know, when the conference tournament started getting canceled, yep. I like a dumbass who took this thing very seriously. We're like, we'll still get my favorite thing all year, which is the NCAA tournament. It just might be later, etc. Yeah. But let me tell you this, okay? Tampa Bay, not a good look to have a Super Bowl in an empty uh, stadium with the pirate ship. It just kind of looked tacky. Uh, I say you go St. Patty's Day, Dublin, Ireland, uh, Super Bowl, 2021. You push it back into mid-March, and we take the Super Bowl to Ireland. That's my off-the-wall. Take it to Ireland. Now, I was in Dublin. Notre Dame played there against Navy. My boys played there in two. I know that. That's why I asked you. Phenomenal, phenomenal trip, by the way. Yeah. Dublin is a ball. Man, I would love – that would be awesome. Because football, I, I, there's, I, Super Bowl is not going to have – there's going to be no concerts. There's going to be no, like, big sweet sales. So you, like, you think even even by February – or and I guess this is a question. I say, do we think? We don't know. By February yeah, we don't. March, you don't think that that I mean, look at NASCAR, their all star race, which was on July 15th, I believe they had 20,000 people in the in the stands, but they spaced so, them out. And those stands are huge. Exactly. So I guess I guess where we're, uh, there was God, it was a couple of months ago, the CEO of the Dolphins said he had a plan to get 20,000 people in their 65,000 seat stadium. So Will they be able to do that? I mean, do we think in February or March you'll be able to have some crowd? I don't know. Yeah, I don't I, know. I don't either. Because yeah. you know they want to try. And, and the tough part about that, and you know this, when you want to do something, you'll find every reason to do it. <laughs> yeah. Even the negative that comes up, you'll somehow spin it to why you should do it. That's what scares me. What do you think happens, though? This is the, okay, and this is a major hypothetical. Anybody listening, I'm not. I'm not advocating for this prediction because we don't know yet, but the season is wholesale goes away. Okay. What does it mean for a guy like you or I, and we're different, you know, like you mentioned, I have more security coming out of my rookie contract and that sort of thing. But what does it mean for a guy like any, any player to miss the fall? You've been doing this since you're 14. You've never taken a fall off mentally psychologically emotionally financially what are the what are the things that people don't realize would happen if players didn't play this fall well i I think the the first thing is is players are going to think financially what it's going to cost them um if if in fact they don't work out something where there's some kind of stipend uh if the season were to start and then stop do you get some money but but if they're flat out as no season and you don't get paid man that that's going to be a tough call again guys that are in a more secure position it's basically a year off. And you can, let's be honest, at some point, you want to look at the glass half full, you say, well, I just saved my body a, a, a year of wear and tear. You know, yeah. you can look at it that way. Like we talked about Le'Veon Bell when he sat out that whole year, you know, and then came back. It's like, well, he saved himself a whole year of getting hit. And le- like I said uh, just before, you'll find ways to spin it to the positive, but you're not going to make up that money. You're mm-hmm. not going to get that money back at all. And then players that were in a precarious position, where are they next year? Do they get forgotten? Exactly. That, that's the tough part. It said, and, and I always think of that because I was in the beginning before I became a starter, back half of the roster guy. So I'm always concerned about those guys. What happens to them? They're the ones living on pins and needles. Hell, they're the ones now, if there's a camp, that are, that are not going to really be able to show them. They don't get the reps. The team. They get no reps. 
They're so, not going to get the reps. So imagine, Mike, if you don't have a season, my question is you've got this backlog of, of, of uh, college athletes yes. who are going to come in and they're going to be the unproven young commodity. Say you're a third year guy who's been struggling to make practice squads or, or, you know, find a role on a team. Will you see like abrupt retirements? I'm talking about even older guys, like guys who are maybe 34 at this point, already getting like me on the back half of my career. I can still play, but you're still 34. You know, right. they, they, that's how they look at you. So what if you take a year off, all of a sudden you're 35? Do you, do you see guys now, what about the quarterback crop that the NFL so desperately needs to squeeze another year out of, that, that legendary crop that's on their way out? Like Tom Brady at 44, you don't know. Like, I just don't know. I, I, don't think, I don't think a lot of them will retire on their own, but what will happen to them is like what would happen to me and what happens to most people, you get retired. Very few people get to call their own shots and walk away. You got to do that. You could still be playing. You got to walk away. That's a what a great position to be in, you know, yeah. and, and you deserve that. The flip side is sometimes you want to jump through the TV and go get somebody. <laughs> no, I bet you do. It never really yeah. goes away. Yeah. For, for, yeah. for guys like me, I didn't have a choice. I was retired. When all the teams don't call, that means you're retired. And yeah. I think that's what would happen to some of the guys just for what you said. They were fringe guys. So coaches – know you're a fringe guy and in comes this rookie with potential and all of a sudden their eyes get a little wider at the potential and next thing you know you're out of a job so you go try and make the team and you get a rookie jumping over you without even proving himself yeah it's a tough predicament what about this ir uh classification which just popped up before we called it it uh, i believe it, it allows people to throw people on like a COVID ir for three weeks and then once you re-enter and go back to practice you have to be active within, I want to say, three weeks or else you're back on IR or there's some settlement reach. I, to me, this, is, this has massive implications because there's going to be a ton of guys that we might see pop up playing football this year that we didn't know were still interested in playing football. You might see some cool names that you hadn't seen in a year or two, like a Brandon Marshall type. Uh, what, what, how the hell do they pull this off? Well, I, I always wondered because you saw what baseball did. Baseball is a 60-man taxi squad. So yeah. basically, they're not playing minor league baseball, but, but baseball players that were in those team system, there's a taxi squad. So guys ready to jump up. I always thought, Chris, they, they should, each team should have something like that. I think it would be harder to do, but we're in uncertain times. Have guys that you can draw from instead of putting them on IR for three weeks and, you have, you know, and bringing someone in and just signing a free agent. I think it would be better to have guys that know your system. Now, I don't know how that's going to work. How much do you pay them? Do you pay them like a practice squad right. guy? But I think you're going to need more people than they're allowing for to be ready to play if you get a team that all of a sudden the, the COVID spreads through a little bit. Well, I talked to Bruce Arians about this. He came on the pod and uh, I said, man, like, listen, not only do you have an old quarterback, but you have an old quarterback in the age of COVID. Like, have you thought about quarantining a quarterback? Because it's the same thing with Johnny Hecker was on the show last week. I said, Johnny, you shouldn't even be going to work. Like, we really don't need you to practice. I know that some special teams guys will say, hey, hold on a second, but is it worth it to risk Johnny Hecker getting sick, who's a big part of your team, a great punter, by the way, and not all punters are, but a specialist, say, and they're really hard to find, like a kicker. We've seen this in the NFL. To have them in the building every day, albeit they're eating popcorn and, and kicking the ball twice, and then they go play video games for the, next, for the rest of the day. Should well, we start quarantining different different positions that are more less expendable? I, I listen. I, I when Arian said that about having a guy away from the team, I agreed with it because if you get a guy in the quarterback room who gets it, you're in a quarterback room. 
yeah. you know, with other people. Who's not to think that that's going to spread? That's why I think you should have the rights to players that play different positions but aren't in your facility. So yeah. they're not near that. You have to, you know, you have to know they're working out. I mean, that's the hard. Listen, we're in a different world no matter what. We're, we're kind of flying by the seat of our pants anyway. Yeah. But I just think you have to kind of think outside the box a little bit because if you bring them in and have these guys, extra guys practice, well, then they're just as susceptible to COVID as anybody else. If you have them away and, and you have a rash of things that come through, now you can bring guys in who you had the rights to, get them tested, make sure they're negative, and your team hopefully doesn't suffer too much. I mean, but it's this is all, man. I mean, and the other thing, everybody has their 100-page memo, right, about their the guidelines, but you know not everything's thought of. You know something's going to come up and they're going to go, shit, we didn't see that one coming. Now how do we deal with it? You know that's going to happen. It's just a matter of what and when. What about gambling, Mike? I mean, like, oh. are you going to, are you, I, and I like some action. Like, I'm oh, only, yeah. I'm only placing a bet at noon Eastern on Sunday. Like you can't place a bet through the week. And how does that affect the books? Oh, I, I'm, I'm waiting till after the inactives are announced if I can, as long as yeah. I can. I agree because I think they already said there are, maybe it wasn't football or somebody is not saying if they're, out with COVID, they're not saying they're out with COVID. They're just saying they're out. And that's just going to lead people to wonder what's wrong. Oh, with that's going to be a shit show. No, it's, it absolutely is. But I, I agree with you. And, and and it's still amazing through all this how smart Vegas will probably be. They'll you know, figure out a way. But They'll I'm with you. Anybody who's making bets earlier than a half hour before the game or an hour before the game is foolish until you know everybody who's going to be on the field. Or, and that's another thing is, Keeping that information oh. down. I mean, that's going to be that's going to take on a whole nother life because you're going to have to deal with a lot of guys who are like curiously staying home, etc. And that's sort of thing. Doesn't show up for you know the you know the media is it, well. Yeah. I don't even know if also be media. Normally, they're only allowed in for stretching. What if someone's not out at stretching and mm -hmm. you didn't see him get hurt in a game? Where mm -hmm. is he? Well, we're not saying. You know, nobody's saying anything. You know, so yeah, it, it is going to be a shit show. That's exactly right. This whole year may be. Yeah. Chris, I haven't gone out and, and stayed up until midnight, and I don't know how many New Year's Eves to party because I'm always asleep. I'm going to stay up this New Year's Eve and party my ass off to get rid of this year. It's been so bad. <laughs> Let's I mean, do it. <laughs> we just don't know what's going to come up this year. No, I know. How about these contracts? Okay, real quick. Henry, okay, we knew he'd be... Uh... We, we knew it'd be one of these things where we're going back to talking about, do we pay running backs? Okay. He was tagged. He ends up one of the few guys who get tagged a fourth or the fifth guy in the last few years to sign a tag and then do a deal. Uh, in the Demarcus Lawrence got five for one ten on a second tag. I think Grady Jarrett, Robbie gold, but this was a shock to me and maybe I was being dumb four years. What? Uh, 50 million. That's 12, five a year. Is this a sustainable model for Tennessee? So here's, here's and this is one of what we talked about earlier about learning the intricacies. Yeah. This is one of the things I, I called around to some cap, some cap people or some people I know that deal with the money stuff. And they said basically this of why this was kind of good for both sides. So what you do is you play the game out. If Derrick Henry got tagged this year and he got tagged next year, those two years total would be $22.6 million. Right. So any deal he was going to take needed to be at least a couple of million dollars over that because right. he already would have made that anyway. 
right. if he got tagged this year like he did and played on it, and then they tagged him next year. Well, this deal you mentioned, it's four years, 50 million. How much is guaranteed? 25 million of it is guaranteed. So that's right. a couple million over what he would have been if he was tagged. And it's not cra- it's not a crazy number as far running back numbers aren't out of out of this world anyway. And he's no. now the fifth highest by average yearly, the fifth highest paid running back in the league. So I actually think, in all honesty, I think Tennessee was more kind of extending, hey, we appreciate what you did with that deal. Derrick Henry, he I he should have jumped to sign that thing. No doubt about it, because next year the cap could go down, and you're talking about the running back number could could plummet a little bit more, and then and next year there's like 14 running backs who are up, including like Kamara and some guys that are going to get really short change. And you got you got um, Najee Harris coming out of Bama, who I love. Yeah. Um, you got other running backs coming out. The kid from Clemson, whose name just jumped out of my my head right now, but also I think Derrick Henry. He I think he topped out, Chris. I mean, he led the league in rushing. But what cost him and why he's not getting that money, and this is what you got to do now, he had 18 catches. You go look at what yeah. Zeke had. You go look at what Saquon had. You go look at what McCaffrey had. You go look at what Kamara had. These guys are catching the ball out of the backfield. They're dual threat. Hell, you go all the way back to the Marshall Falk years of doing that. Yeah. That's what you need to do now. To be just that runner anymore is not enough. So I think this was a deal he had to jump at and sign. And and I think Tennessee felt, you know what? We gave the guy what we think he would have deserved. If we tagged him next year, it was only a couple of million more that we gave him. Plus it's over four years. So we can spread that out and keep the cap number down. And I guess, you know, from a sustainability, you know, standpoint, I'm, I'm wondering, like, if you know that Tannehill sucker punched the league last year, you got a <laughs> 95 out of a hundred out of Tannehill. Okay. If this was a yeah. hundred is the best possible year guy, you got a 99 year out of Derrick Henry. And you still, although you knocked off some elites, you still couldn't keep up with Kansas City. Now, they played them tough. They played them tough in the playoffs a few years ago. They actually beat them last year, early in the year. Um, And they're a tough matchup. Nobody wants to play the Titans, but is being like, and I was a Titans fanboy last year, so I'm not dogging them. Love them. I love Vrabel. But is that model, when you got nine out of 10 out of your two stars you just paid, could it get any better? Could you no. really you really think you can beat you can go into Arrowhead and win? No, no, because I, I don't foresee Tannehill having that year. They lose their right tackle in Conklin. They lose Gerald Casey, the defensive lineman as well. So they did lose some power there. To beat Kansas City, not only do you have to have the defense to stop him, which Vrabel did a nice job of, but then you have to be able to score some points. That's not a point scoring offense. I I I don't see and, and I will I'm with you. I was a big fanboy of Rabel. I love his style. I love how that team was playing. I don't see him getting to that level next year. And we both love to play for Vrabel. I think yes. that goes without yes. saying. I mean, that dude, yep. it's awesome. And they were a tough team. I really respect him. Nobody wants to play Tennessee, but I don't know that Tennessee can win the the whole thing with this model. And that's the tough part because they won me a lot of money and I was really into Tennessee last year. <laughs> But but on top of that, you look at Tannehill's numbers throwing the ball in the playoffs. Those first two games, I mean, he had like 18 attempts. So that's not sustainable. I mean, so. that, that's, that's a tough position to be in to where say we don't want our quarterback to throw. That's our best chance to win. So the team that they got to keep up with, and now everybody's got to keep up with, they just signed Chris Jones and well-deserved. I couldn't believe the guy didn't make a Pro Bowl a couple years ago. Oh. He finally got the deal he deserved. Um, you know, he got the 20 a year he wanted, but the first year is kind of that tag number at like 16. So, you know, and out in front, it's not crazy. 
Kansas City set. Okay, we all agree on that. We're talking about how many championships, if not another one. Why are they so set? Or, or is this a mirage that we're, we're just the flavor of the month? You know, it, it's, a, it's a number of things. It's managing the cap, which they've done a great job at. I mean, think about Pat Mahomes. His big number doesn't even kick in for two more years yeah. because he extended the rookie deal. So they still have two more years to, to live on that. Um, but I look, so let's look on the other side. So I'll give you a comparison. So uh, Miles Garrett signs that deal with the Browns. $100 million guaranteed, 144 over the seven years, 125 five-year extension. Right? Biggest non-quarterback deal done. So he was the first first-round draft pick of the Cleveland Browns since mm. 2010 to have a second contract. Oh, yeah. That was Joe Hayden, 2011, 12, 13, 14, 15, and 16. Any first-rounders. In some years, I, be I believe they had two first-rounders. Not one first-round pick made it to a second contract, which means, as you would know, for people out there who, who don't, it would mean either your scouting department stunk or they scouted well and your coaching staff was bad and didn't develop the talent. Yeah. Either way, there's a, there was a lot of people in that organization to look in the mirror and say how we screwed it up. So yeah. flip that to what Belichick has done with rosters and now what Veach is doing as GM there and what Andy Reid is doing uh, as the coach there in getting the talent, developing the talent, because you have a hell of an O coordinator, Eric Bieniemy, with the way they're going right now, and, and a, a mastermind in Andy Reid, who I love. So they're developing the talent. Then you have a smart capologist of how they can fit their money. Even in, in three years, in that third year, when some of these cap numbers start to hit for them, they still are going to have free space in their cap. So yeah. it, it, it starts and ends, we know, with talent. You got to have the talent. Then you develop the talent, and then you keep the talent. Because everybody always says, as soon as you have to pay your quarterback, you're not going to win anymore. Everybody goes back to Joe Flacco. When they did well in the playoffs, they won the Super Bowl, they got the big deal, they haven't, didn't do anything. Russell Wilson, they win the Super Bowl, he gets a big deal. They're still a good team, but they mm -hmm. haven't won again, though you can look at a certain play, you know, in the... Yeah, <laughs> the, just one. I mean, like, my God. Cost him. But you know what? That's a cop-out. You can sign a big number guy, You got it, but you got to draft well, and you got to develop your talent. That's just a bullshit yeah. excuse to say that, oh, once you pay a quarterback, you can't win. I don't buy that. So you have to give them credit for scouting, drafting, yeah. free agents, and developing the talent and working the cap. And you know what I think is great? And I, I look back at this, and I, I'm a big Andy Reid fan. It's like, find me a guy who's not an Andy Reid fan, and I'll oh, find you somebody who just hates the world because yep. he's <laughs> universally loved and somebody who, for the Chiefs, it just felt like for years they were just tormented by New England. Even the game, the AFC Championship, I thought, this is the, the game. Yep. But they kept converting, and the defense just stunk. And it was like third down after third down, including some questionable calls. But I, now they're turning into this team that, and I don't think we're getting out ahead of ourselves. One championship to me opens the door for multiple because I think the power struggle has officially more than shifted. The door has been broken down. Last year, we watched them win in New England late in the year. I felt like that was the monkey off the back yeah. moment. And now you've got a few reasons why I think it's a three championship at least conversation. I hate being, you know, all dramatic, but you've got a great home field. Look in their, look in their conference. Who are the great top 10 quarterbacks in that conference? You look at a, a list of top 10 quarterbacks in the NFL. Most of them are in the NFC. Most of them are aging or going to be gone soon. In the AFC, you've got Deshaun Watson. I don't trust that organization. I trust Deshaun Whoa. Watson. I don't, you had your chance, 24 nothing. 
move on. Okay. You've got Lamar Jackson. I love Lamar Jackson. Okay. I, I, I know we're in this thing where if you say anything negative about mm-hmm. Lamar Jackson, you hate him. I love Lamar Jackson. He's not a proven commodity over years yet. And right. if Greg Roman gets a head job at some point, which I don't know that he will, it's all in question. So you've got the quarterback thing set up for you. Uh, you've got the home field. You've got the speed. And the league's even more going to speed. So I, I see this as not just a, a flash in the pan thing. I think the power struggle, um, which is not a hot take, has shifted very decisively to Kansas City. I don't think we're being out ahead of ourselves saying that. Kansas City is at the top. I think Baltimore is second, and I think there's a drop-off to who's third. You know, is it is it Tennessee? Is it Houston? Is it Pittsburgh getting Ben back? Is it, you know, the Colts getting uh, Phillip Rivers and yeah. more help on offense? So, But there's a drop-off there. It is absolutely Kansas City to me, and then Baltimore. And I, and I agree with you about Lamar. He needs more development, but – this dude is a talent that, I mean, oh, he's even amazing. different than Michael Vick was. Yeah. And, oh, but, also, but also, they built a hell of a team around him. Yes. They built a hell of a team around him, so you give that organization credit. But I'll say this. I'll even go out on a limb here as well. The one person we would always say when he was in his heyday, we said it's this person in the field, Tiger Woods, right? When yeah. Tiger Woods was, was at his best, I mean, think about it. You go into a tournament and say you can bet Tiger Woods or the field. That was an actual bet to have. He was that good. Yeah. I don't think it's far-fetched to say Kansas City and the field in the AFC. Especially because as New England's occupied this thing over the last 20 years, there were periods where they won Super Bowls. You mentioned one of them where one or two plays here and there, and I know that's how Super Bowls are won and lost, but you could have spanned a decade between championships. It has not been a cakewalk for nope. New England. There was a lot of you know power distribution across the league from a court. And I know there's things we don't know yet. Drew Locke could be great, okay? Exactly we don't right. know. Maybe yeah. John Gruden figures out the Derek Carr thing. I doubt it. Um, but like in division, in conference, the structure is so that the Super Bowl is going through Kansas City to me for the next five, ten years, which is a terrifying thought. It's scarier than it going through New England, in my opinion. And the same haircuts that people took to go to New England, now they're taken to go to Kansas City. That's the way I think it's going to go. So, I mean, it's exciting to be a Kansas City Chiefs fan right now. Um, how about Dak? That's let's get real first takey and argue about. Is there anything more polarizing than a quarterback or a quarterback on Dallas? I mean, like it's um, it. it People have screamed about it for a year. What do you think uh, Jerry was thinking not getting this deal done? Are you with well, him? What, what I think is Jerry likes dating Dak, but doesn't want to go down the aisle with him. You yeah. know, he's, he's kind of kind of likes him, not sure if he loves him. Obviously, he doesn't love him enough to marry him right now, and is still <laughs> not sure. I That's the, the way I, I equate it, you know? And so that's the offer out there was kind of reflected that. It yeah. wasn't. I li- we didn't expect the Pat Mahomes deal to where, hey, basically no number was going to be too too big uh, for for Mahomes. But I I personally thought they were going to get it done because I always go to the question, even when Tony Romo was there and people wanted to get rid of him. My question was always, who are you getting? What do you right. do? You built this team for now. You have an old line that was the best in the league. It's still really good, but it is aging. You know, you've paid your linebacker, you've paid your wide receiver. You've drafted well at times, you know, with, with another wide receiver. You got a window right now. What are you what are you screwing around for? What are yeah. you gonna do without Dak? Where are you gonna go? So you miss your window. Here. I mean, I, so what what's the best hope? Quite honestly, and let's also be honest, Jerry's not afraid to write a check. So if Dak goes out there, now statistically he had a pretty good year last year, 
But if they win, and I don't know where that line is, do they have to get to the NFC t- title game? Do yeah. They have to get to the Super Bowl to where Jerry's going to say, okay, I'm going to pay you now. But if they don't get there, is he going to go through this again? Because where are you then going to go for a quarterback? You're, don't tell me you're going to draft somebody with a veteran team and try and build it again. Yeah, it'd be the biggest waste of a window I can remember oh. in recent history. And also, if you're if you're putting a lot of the struggles on the team on Jason Garrett, and I think it's fair and unfair. I really like Jason Garrett. Um, but, you know, it, they failed down there. And, you know, now they've got McCarthy. You, you know, like, give Dak a chance to learn with the guy that you think is this wizard, this guru, and we'll find out. But the big deal for me is that in a year, if the cap goes down, you're going to be paying him $37 million. Okay, that's the next tag. And so $37 million adjusted for this year's cap is $51 million. I saw Barnwell writing about it. That's insane. 14% this year is what the allotment would be. Uh, with this franchise tag at what thirty one or something or th- yeah thirty one four he by the way carries the biggest cap hit of anybody in the NFL this year so he would do the same next year because Mahomes doesn't kick in until the year after and that. even worse even worse if the cap comes down so next year you you've got to either massively overpay him or and and uh, to the detriment of your team and your window and losing a star and reshuffling things or let him walk for nothing which you know I think is a distinct possibility because you don't know how. I don't know if they're banking on the fact that guys will say, hey, if we're paying you $8 and Jacksonville's paying you $10, you'll come to your senses and realize this is Dallas. You, you want to be a Dallas Cowboy. We're loaded. But it's gotten personal now. His brother yeah. is tweeting. Oh, I know. I, I think sometimes you know, uh, front offices don't realize spite is very powerful. So here's my hot take because I can do it since I'm not going to have be on my radio much longer. So. <laughs> 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 here's one to put in the bank for you. If Dak is not the quarterback of the Cowboys after this year, and they need a new quarterback next year, Cam Newton. Cam I Newton like that. plays well in New England and gets himself set up to make some money. You know they don't like to pay big money in New England. So, And you know Jerry would get his eyes wide and say, yeah. Cam still got it, and he offers so much. And so if they didn't want to end up paying Dak, and they wouldn't go to a rookie quarterback. That would be the dumbest thing in the world with a, with a, so with a ready-made team. Because they're not going to they're play themselves out of a top-five pick because they're good. No, so that's exactly right. They wouldn't be getting that pick. So that that's my hot-takey take. And I'm, I'm normally not a hot-takey guy. But I, I love it. I love it. And we're going we're gonna to freeze that like – we're going to freeze that like Han Solo and bust that out next year when Cam's got the star in his helmet. But, but okay, here's the real question because to me, I'm thinking a year ahead, and this is entertaining. You know, I I do the speculation thing. I was so mad that Tom didn't sign with San Francisco. I wrote a column right out of football. Right. I was like, he's going to San Francisco. Okay, so I think that Dak ends up, you know, you're talking about three places, really, that have been floated. New England, Jacksonville, Indy. I think Indy's the spot for him because that's the least lateral move. You have the same type of offensive line, oh. you know, save for a few depth spots and that sort of thing. You have a coach to me that's superior to Mark, Mike McCarthy from an offensive standpoint in Frank Reich. I, Frank Reich is a fucking wizard, dude. Like he, Doug Peterson's the man. Those guys work together a lot. Okay. Like Frank Reich, if you pair Dak with Frank with that talent and he gets paid an equal amount of money, I think if he's spiteful enough, that's the move. New England's not going to pay him. Okay. New England's not no, going to pay. Not. They nope. didn't pay Tom Brady. They're not going to pay him. And Jacksonville, what are you doing? And I think Jerry knows that like Jacksonville is not a viable option teams like that. Cause Dak needs to realize if you leave, you leave the security blanket of having playmakers 
and protection at every turn. I think Indy's the right move for him. Jacksonville is gonna is gonna dumb it down, and they're gonna get Trevor Lawrence. So they they're, have they're to start on over with that. I agree with you a thousand percent. The Colts is a I love Frank Reich, and the Colts is a great landing spot. Great running game, great offensive line. Got to a, a big time receiver in T.Y. Hilton. Their defense, I mean, getting to Forrest Buckner from San Francisco. Oh, he's a stud. I agree. I think that would be an awesome move for them because I, I, I really don't see Rivers playing more than this year there, quite honestly. No, I agree. I agree. And a lot of people scratch their head at that, but I do think they'll have a good year because we forget two years ago, uh, other than New England running the ball up their ass in New yeah. England, just saying, like, hey, you meet James Devlin. Uh, Philip had a really good year. So he, you know, I, I think some people act like he's been washed for five years. I think him and Frank who have worked together in San Diego will be just fine.